Hey guys, welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez. If you'd like to support my work, please head over to theloupperez.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. You'll get to listen to my podcasts and watch my sketch comedy videos before I release them to the rest of the world. You also have access to exclusive content for members only. And if you're looking for another way you can support me, you can do so by supporting my sponsors, Black Organic Cold Brew. Just head over to www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. And if you're into CBD products, please check out Paloma Verde CBD. Head over to palomaverdecbd.com and use promo code Lou for 25% off purchases over $75. All right, here we go. Oh, God, I look disgusting. Look how big my head is. Okay. Uh, (coughs) And we're going to go in three... Two, one. Hey guys, welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. I'm your host, Lou Perez, and I'm very happy to be joined by Gret Glyer. And um, uh, Gret is the CEO of Donorcy. And uh, right off the bat, Gret, I feel like I pronounced, I mispronounced your last name, and I'm sorry about that. Glyer? Uh, yeah, I, I get, yeah, Glyer is fine. I get Geiler a lot, but Glyer is the, the right one. It, it is. Okay, cool. Yeah. cool. Well, where's, uh, where's Glyer from? Well, so I'm half Ecuadorian, but Glyer is on my father's side, um, and it's some European combination of things. But yeah, I, I don't know any others. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a, like an ancient sort of trade. I tell like, oh, yeah. you, you got to go to the Glyer. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> it's like, oh, you you can't feel this half of your body. You got to go see the Glyer. He'll, <laughs> yeah. he'll be able to uh, to help you out on that. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know you were a half Ecuadorian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom emigrated from Ecuador uh, when she was like 20, um, okay. met my dad, and yeah, they've been married for about 30-something years at this point, and I'm the product of them. So Nice, nice, yeah. nice. Do you have any uh, any siblings? or? I have a younger family? sister. Uh, her name is Gizan, G-I-Z-A-N, hmm. and um, yeah, just the two of us. Okay, now we're we're about to to go off the rails because now you've just expressed some like unique some names, of, some really interesting. Yeah, Jizan is that a derivation of Jesus or a Jesus? Or? <laughs> no, actually, because Gret and then my dad's name is Grid, G R I D. So the concept is uh, is G names um, that are kind of unique, and mm-hmm. I think part of the concept was like they can't be made into a nickname, so they kind of keep them short. Okay. Um. Yeah, but I have a daughter named Galilee like the Sea of Galilee. Um, and then, one. yeah, thank you. And um, I have another one on the way in, um, I mean, January 23rd. So very soon could be oh any day. God. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> very soon. Okay. Yeah. We, we are recording this. I, I record these, um, you know, sometimes a week or two out. We're recording this on January 7th. So the fact that you're doing this uh wow that yeah, speaks you. Uh, yeah it, it, you obviously like me a lot and for, you don't have any good reason to like me uh to be willing to do this but if anything happens if you gotta if you gotta head out yeah i've got my phone rolling. on me so yeah. yeah no no we'll be good i i think we'll be fine we'll see yeah. um but yeah baby's due january 23rd uh yeah. my wife and i we don't share the name of the baby until not, not even with like family oh. or anything until the baby's born That's um but it'll be a g name i can share that yeah with uh my wife and I, so we have, we have two. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, newborn was, was born in uh, uh, October. Um, it was interesting. My, my first son was born the day before my mother-in-law's birthday. And mm. then the new son was born the day before my mother's birthday. 
Okay. So, so we're keeping. Like, That's very uh, interesting. Yeah. 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 And we, uh, we kept, they the must names. be close together. Uh, yeah. Well, how was it? Um, 19, I think it was 19 months, 19, 19 months, months apart. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. So you can give me some advice because mm-hmm. I think they're going to be 17 months apart. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, well, for one, it's definitely a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, them being, <laughs> them being that close, a lot of diapers. Um, but when it came to revealing the names, we didn't reveal it to anybody. Uh, the first people to hear it were the, the nursing staff. Yeah. That's what we so, did. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, that, that, that was cool. What and was your rationale for that? Um, I think one, I, I, it might've been like almost a, um, almost like superstitious mm. in a way where it's sort of like, we, we are entrusting you with, uh, you know, with, with these lives. Yeah. Um, and therefore you are entitled to like almost the secret information. Like this, <laughs> yeah. this, this will somehow bring us all closer. And, and, you know, I don't know how things are, you know, normal, like in pre COVID times, I never, mm. never had a baby. Um, so I didn't know what, what masking was like back then. Like yeah. if you actually like saw the face of a nurse or your doctor, <laughs> but, right. but nowadays like you, you don't, you know, yeah. so it's, um, and this, this, uh, the last, uh, my, my, my second child, uh, he was a day, a day after his due date, but like my wife could have given birth in the car on the car ride over. Like, oh it was, yeah. It was, it was, it was that fast. It was, it was that close. And there was a, yeah. a, a nurse in particular named, named Jeannie. Um, and she was just, just incredibly sweet. Like when you meet someone like Jeannie, it's like, um, it's like, oh, you are what a nurse should be. Right. You know, mm, yeah. like you, you are, this is, this is your vocation. This feels right. Yeah. Th- this, you were born, uh, to do this. And there was a, there was a point where my wife was, uh, sitting on, um, on the, the bedding or whatever you, you want to call it. And she's facing, we're facing each other. I'm holding her. And then Jeannie's behind us holding both of us. Mm. And it was just, it was a very, very intimate, you know, yeah, uh, setting. Really I know exactly. Important. And someone that you don't know very well, but you're, you're just in this crazy situation with each other. Um, Cause with, yeah, with us, uh, Galilee, like my family didn't even know the name, but as soon as the baby was born, um, the midwife, it was, so we did a home birth actually. Mm. Um, so the, especially cause of, I mean, in part cause of COVID in part cause we just wanted, my wife wanted to, um, but yeah, the, when the baby was born, the midwife was like, well, you know, needed to write the name down. So we we're like, so we said, Oh, it's a, her name is Galilee. Um, and Galilee is a sea in the middle East and, uh, Galilee was born. It was like a water birth. Like we had a tub in our house and um so the midwife said something about like oh like the sea of galilee like that the, was the a, storm. A water baby yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so but it's it was so interesting like being in that yeah in that situation with someone and like very very intimate i mean way more intimate for my wife obviously than me but still very intimate so yeah well I, you know i think this kind of relates to you know what you do in that you're a stranger who ends up being very intimate in the lives of, of others, especially those in need. And that's where we come to donor C and maybe you could just tell, you know, tell the world what donor C is. And definitely. Yeah. Donor C is a place where donors can see where their money goes when they donate. Um, We're really focused on building relationships between donors and the people that they're helping. So anyone can like right now, anyone can go to donor C.com. You can sort through hundreds of projects. Each of these projects are ways to help people in really big ways. Um, and then what's unique about us is you 
So you, you could donate to you know a girl in India who might need hearing aids, or you can donate to a widow in Malawi who might need a roof for her house. Um, but these are locally sourced, on the ground, vetted projects. You can donate. You can pick which project you want to donate to. Um, and usually it's a small donation. You can donate 20 bucks or 50 bucks. You make a big difference in that person's life. And then you'll get a video update. So you'll get a video of the widow, like watching the house get put on, or sorry, the roof get put on her house or, or the girl in India who needs hearing aids. You'll get a video of her hearing for the first time. Um, and then we create these connections between the donor and the person that they're helping. Yeah. A, a while back, I, um, when I first uh, joined uh, Donor C and, and was, uh, and was giving, um, I I described it as if you ever if you're ever drunk and black out and you wake up and you've like you know given like all this money to all yeah. these different causes on donors like yeah. you'll never regret you know those yeah. that you have. <laughs> yeah I know it's like an app that's like if you accidentally use it that it turns out to be a good thing as opposed to like if social media you're like drunk texting yeah uh, yeah that that's um. Well, negative I, I, consequences for that. <laughs> yeah. um, so, some years before, uh, before I came across uh, you guys, a, a buddy of mine, uh, we went to Nepal. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. We, um, so we spent, uh, we were, we're two weeks apart. We're both born in February. So we went to celebrate our 33rd birthdays uh, in Nepal, it w- mm. which seems it, it was just a, it was a place where like two guys from Queens, you would never think like, oh yeah, these yeah. guys are going to go party in Nepal. Uh, yeah. I'm and, curious and, what the rationale was for like picking that place. I'm, I'm very much a, um, the type where if somebody's going to be, if somebody's going to do all the organizing, yeah. I'm, I'm happy. You'll to just, you're in. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah, anytime, yeah. anytime my wife and I, uh, you know, go away, yeah. it's like you organize it. I'll pick up, you know, mm-hmm. I'll pick up the dinner tab. Okay. Uh, so, so, it was, <laughs> yeah. so it was a similar thing. Um, my friend, Rob, we've been friends uh, since high school and, and this was, you know, sort of in uh, this is an idea that he had. And for, for him, it, I think it, it was more of rather than just seeing like this exotic locale or a place that you probably would never be, uh, never go to. It, it was more of like a spiritual thing for mm, him. Like, yeah. Uh, and uh, we had, we had a wonderful time. It was incredibly, you know, bonding experience and then mm-hmm. meeting Nepalese people or they're just uh, that's a good way to do that yeah yeah that's a good way to do that I think when you're like especially around that age and you're trying to figure out like you're trying to get a little bit more perspective in life and trying to also like figure out some things about yourself just to take yourself like out of your context go to a completely like foreign context and meet like really wonderful people who grew up in a very different situation than you it's like a really good way to do that kind of thing. Very yeah. good for your friend to do that. Not many people do that. Yeah. And they were incredibly sweet people. It was yeah. great. Um, it was funny though, preparing for it. Um, you know, when we think of Nepal, we think of like Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we like, you know, got like new clothes if we were going to be, you know, hiking and, and, yeah. like that. and it turns out like, no, like you're, you're, you're not at just, that yeah. of, of, of an altitude. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're, we're walking around basically looking, we're looking yeah. like CIA. Yeah. Know, just sort of like walking around here. Like who are these Americans? Though? Yeah. That's, but, uh, I mean, so that was like, that's just like the level of, but for me, when I first went to Malawi, um, I remember I went, there was another guy who I was like getting on the plane with and we were both, like, we had just met, but we were going you know, we're going to the same destination, leaving from the same airport. I leaned over to him as we were getting on the plane. And I was like, dude, I can't believe I just took my last hot shower for a year (laughs) this morning. Cause I was going for a year. I was like, I can't believe I just took my last hot shower. You know, in my mind, I'm like, there's no hot water in Africa. It's like just the level of, 
uh, right. Niagara was it was yeah pretty yeah interesting so <laughs> so, so uh so we went um we spent i think like 10 days there and yeah. then uh we came back to the states and i think it might have been like maybe a month maybe a month or two or maybe two months mm-hmm. where um uh nepal suffered just an unspeakable earthquake just, yeah you know completely like destroyed yep. uh destroyed them and uh, you know, immediately you start remembering all the places that you went to that are no longer there. My, my friend has a tattoo of one of the temples mm. that's not there anymore. It's, that's it's crazy. There for thousands of years, he gets a tattoo, and now it, now it's no longer there. Wow. And um, what when I was uh, when I was there, we we went into this one shop where this uh this guy was a uh, a knife smith or or maybe a glier. I, I don't know. What <laughs> it could have been, yes, right. it could have been a glier. People. <laughs> And um, they make this, uh, I, I think that's, uh, they call it Gurkha. Uh, the, uh, there's like the Gurkha soldiers and this uh, this type of knife. And it's a really wicked, scary looking knife. That's actually and- the name of my son, Gurkha. That's what we're going to call him. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Just named him. You guys hear it first. I got. I have to wait before I release this. Then so he's born. Um, but my 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 dad's a butcher, so growing up, he would always bring home like these interesting knives and mm-hmm. and, and stuff. So I decided I want to get him a knife. So I bought my dad a knife. We uh, brought it back uh, uh, to the U.S. My dad was blown away by this. And so when the when the earthquake happened, uh, I was like, who do I have contact with at Nepal? Well, I, I have the receipt of this man's store. Hmm. Let me, you know, reach out by email, see if there's a way, you know, we could help. Uh, turns out his daughter is studying in the U.S. And, you know, what, what ensues is this really um, – you know, this, I don't know, this really great relationship connection where, you know, I met this man who was an incredible knife maker. Um, and then his daughter connected me and they were able to say, it's like, oh, this is, this is what we, this is what we need. We need money mm. for, for a school. Yeah. So my, my dad and I were able to, you know, put some money together, send it to the school. And then later they sent back pictures of what this school now looks like. And, you know, this is a couple of, this is, a, a, like I said, a couple of years before um, I found you guys and something like just that simple is just, mm-hmm. it's just so powerful. And I think so yeah. important because um, you want to see where your money's going, that uh, the good that it's doing, mm-hmm. you know, and you guys, I mean, do that. I've been doing that for, for a few years now. Yeah, no, it's really important. I think there's, um, there's like this kind of tragic thing that's happened where because there's no, for, you know, the standard is that there's no, you know, the standard interaction when you give to charity is you just give and you really just get like a thank you email or a tax receipt. And then like a few years or sorry, a few months later, they'll send you like an, more solicitation for more money. And that that's mm-hmm. kind of standard way that it works and it really disconnects people from the opportunity to do good in the world and it makes people really skeptical and like understandably so it's like something i I actually genuinely understand like why people are kind of like why should i give my money you don't like i don't know exactly how it's going to help i don't know what it's going to do and there's like a lot of great charities out there and there's a lot of bad charities out there and there's no way to distinguish between them because it's the same like you just give on a donation page and then that's it um and so yeah i mean that's why we're really passionate about what we're doing and um it seems like a lot of other people are you know passionate too and and um excited to help us grow because we just we're really trying to solve this problem um because there's like a lot of opportunity to do awesome really good stuff like you guys built you and your dad built a school um and and help contribute to that and now there's people who are benefiting hugely in that community from it and um and 
that will have ripple effects that will last for generations. And that's a really cool thing that, that that happened. And I think more of that stuff should happen. And to, for us, like the key to that is for just people to see, I think people are generous. They just want to, they just want to trust and, and believe that's going to actually make a difference. Yeah. And I was living in, in Los Angeles at the time. Um, so uh, when this happened, one of the things that I thought was, okay, let me, uh, let me see if I can put on some benefit shows yeah. know, to, to do this. And um, uh, Mike, uh, Mike still was a, uh, a, a awesome actor, great, uh, uh, great improviser. Mm. He, um, he was the artistic director at the UCB theater. And I reached out to Mike and Mike helped me put together um, a show and he gave me the space and the lineup and it was, and, and it was great. Um, and uh, I think that that money all went to red cross. If, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> my favorite. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah I, bring, I bring that up because I want to, I want to see what happens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to see the steam rise from your head. Um, but, oh, you know, talk about a completely different experience where yeah. everybody involved, uh, our, you know, hearts were in the, were in the right place and the people yeah. who gave money, their money was, was, you know, was in the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, we have no idea what happened. With yeah. Money. You know, there's yeah. no, there was no connection there whatsoever. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I hear these nightmare stories about, um, you know, the Red Cross. and, mm-hmm. and Yeah, so I'll, I'll say something about that. So, you know, there was a period of time in my life where I was extremely critical of – I was very vocal about my critiques about the – you could call it like big charity. Like there's a lot of charities out there that do a lot of donation volume on an annual basis. They do maybe a billion dollars a year. There's a lot of these like really big charities that are processing a lot of donations and um with no real with not much accountability um and it it feeds a lot of the skepticism so anyways there was a period of time where i was very vocal about my kind of critiques around this um and i got to a place i did that for a while and actually like generated a good bit of attention people you know it seemed to like really resonate with people It, it created like a very felt need there eventually i'll be honest with you i kind of had this realization that um you know it's really easy to critique things. Um, and it's very hard to build things that are great and that people want to use and that are better. Um, and so I had this moment at some point where I realized, you know, for all the critiquing I'm doing, that's fine, but I'd rather take all of that energy and just pour it into creating like a really amazing experience with, uh, with donorcy. Um, and so I don't know when exactly that shift happened, but, um, I, you know, ever since I kind of just, uh, decided to make that transition, um, I don't know. We've, we, I, I'll just say that we've grown a lot. We have a lot more, you know, staff now, and we have a lot more. Um, we're processing a lot more donations, a lot more successful projects, a lot more video follow-ups, all that stuff. Um, and I think a, a direct part of that was just because I, I kind of said like, yeah, I, I, I think that the world, I think that there's a lot that's broken with the charity industry, and I can just point fingers all the time. I can, you know, spend my time pointing fingers, or I can just build something better. And then that's what we've been trying to do for the last few years. Yeah. Well, it reminds me uh, sort of um, on social media, uh, whenever like a billionaire would give like, you know, a hundred million dollars to the, to this thing. And then you'd have, you know, somebody come up on, you know, on social media, like, Oh, that's like 25 cents. (laughs) It's like, okay, but that's a hundred million dollars. That's, you know, that that's going somewhere. Um, And I, I think you're so right. You know, with the, um, uh, you know, with that idea, you can, you can definitely get 
caught up in you know just pointing figures and, and fingers and it's and pretty effective i mean people like to rally around the person who's like you know causing a scene and mm-hmm. um all that stuff it was effective you know in terms of generating awareness but it didn't actually like i'm really really passionate you know our organization is really focused on creating a very amazing experience every time someone donates we just want them to have an awesome experience um and we want to scale that experience and have it you know have millions of people donating on a monthly basis or just having like an awesome time um and seeing the good that they're doing and um yeah it's that's hard to do it's hard to build that and it's hard to create that that world in that better place but um it's you know it, it it's a lot easier to do that if you're not if you, you don't distract yourself with some of these other things which i i was doing for a while mm-hmm yeah. And um, I, I guess I'm, I, uh, when it comes to Malawi uh, in mm-hmm. specifically, I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very embarrassed. I'm very embarrassed. You shouldn't I, be because most people haven't heard. I hadn't heard of it until like a month before I moved there. So it's pretty common. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought it's like you didn't hear of it until you woke up one day and you're I like, was just there. <laughs> oh, man. And I, I can't I, I can't take any warm showers. Anymore. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. How did that? Okay. So uh, so you didn't hear about it until a month before you went there. Yeah. So let's take take us back. When was that? And yeah. So I you know I graduated from college in 2012. I spent a year working in the um, oh man in the can, corporate can, can, world. Can I just can I like you graduated in 2012? I graduated 04, and I am so that was my middle school graduation. Dude, so I, I'm so humbled <laughs> the amount of good that you've done yeah. in the world in your short life. Compared to me, man. Well, and, and just to go back, yeah, I did uh, some benefit shows for Nepal. That's I, big, yeah. Yeah, I think I raised like two hundred bucks. Uh, <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't mean to laugh. But it's really I mean, nice. that, well, that's that's when you have star power, like yeah. Perez, you know. It's like, yeah, guys, come on, it's a re- it's a really good cause, and people are like, ah. uh, yeah, man, yeah. get get a different figurehead for uh, for that. But okay, so so you really, gra- yeah. so you graduated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, graduated in 2012, spent a year in the corporate world. And I was just kind of like, I was pretty successful, but like, kind of depressed. Like, I, I was like, I don't want to do this for like another 20 years. You know, I, I can tell like, if I just continue on this trajectory. Um, I, and I, I bet you, you had some moment like, I just can tell based off like, you know, what you're working on the stuff that you do that you had probably like a moment like this, where you were, where you kind of like, okay, I need to like, kind of shake things up. And so that was mm-hmm. when I, um, I didn't exactly know why, but I was like, I just have to like kind of blow up my life. And that was, so I was looking for opportunities to go overseas and travel. And I looked at a bunch of different things and nothing was like quite the right fit. Then I was a groomsman, um, in a wedding on July 13th, 2013 or July, I think it was July 30th, 2013 or something like that. And, um, one of the other groomsmen was like heading to Malawi to be a teacher. We had a quick discussion. He sent me like the, link to apply and then i applied to be a a math teacher which was like what they needed and a month later i was i had like quit my job got all of my shots and was on a plane with like this guy i just met at the wedding a month before oh wow um and so the two of us ended up being roommates is a really good friend of mine named woody um and then yeah so i spent a year being a teacher there and then i spent two more years just doing uh like humanitarian work in malawi and then i came back and founded donor and where is it in in Africa? So if you know where Madagascar is, it's like inland of Madagascar. It's in southeast okay. Africa. Africa's really big. That's the other thing yeah, people don't humongous. usually know. It's like fifty four countries, and you can fit like China and the U.S. and Russia like all in it at the same time, and it's really really big. 
Yeah, it comes down. I think it's the uh, the globe. The perspective is all messed up uh, yeah, when it comes to scale. Yeah, there's some controversy around that. Um, yeah, the, the, the yeah. idea of like sort of minimizing Africa. Yeah, as a, you know, on a, the globe, it looks like Africa is like similar in size to North America, but they're not even close. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I, I don't get into that, but yeah. it, so, it so is a thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you taught math. What was it like teaching math? Um, well, so that was the thing. So I was in, under the impression I was going to be like living in a grass thatched hut and, you know, no, <laughs> I was like so ignorant, uh, go heading over there. Um, so yeah, I, I, but I was teaching, um, pre-calculus in algebra two to at oh, an wow. international school. There was like an Olympic sized swimming pool on campus and pretty nice facilities, um, all things considered. So it was like, an, I was living on this like compound, like a one mile square radius compound with a, a bunch of nice facilities. And I lived with other Americans. So there were like 30 other Americans that lived in this compound and were teachers too, were about my age. Um, and so on the compound, it was like decently nice, but then you leave the compound, like literally across the street, there's like probably slums that were similar to things you saw in Nepal. And then you go mm. like another 20 minutes out and you're like in, you're in rural Africa, like your grass thatch huts, just people living on 30 cents a day, 50 cents a day. Um, very, very different lives. Um, just 20 minutes outside of, you know, that, that place, even, you know, across the street, really. Mm -hmm. And was it a, was it like international, you said international students. So were they like kids with the, from the parents of the UN? So some of of them were like missionary kids and some of them were from the UN or from the embassy, like the U S embassy or one of the other countries. Um, And then, and then about half the students were like upper-class Malawians or Mm middle-class Malawians. Um, So it was like half Malawian and then half uh, expat kids. Yeah. I have a good friend of mine, um, Carla, who was a guest on, um, on this program and uh she grew up in uh in south africa and mm. i think and her that's a great place yeah her fa- her dad worked for i think like the state department so she was you know kind of uh you know moving all over the place um with uh like the the people that that you met in malawi like what uh you know what do you think like attracted you to to you know decide like hey i want to I, I want to spend more time here. I want to, I want to help these people out more as opposed to going, you know, somewhere, somewhere else. Yeah. So I w- kind of grew up as a, I mean, I was a private school kid in high school and my college tuition was paid for. I graduated from college debt free. I was working this corporate job. I was promoted super quick and I just kind of had a lot of things pretty easy for me um, up until that point. And, and I think the zip code I grew, I grew up in was like the second wealthiest zip code in the U S so just that was my like normal life, my, my normal life, life. Yeah. right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I just for me, like I remember um, my uh, I had a Dodge Stratus when I was in high school. Like that was the car I drove. I drove a Dodge Stratus. Uh, for those like, of you who don't know the SNL <laughs> reference, yeah. please go stop. Please the rec- go. Stop listening right now this, and go. go that's watch more Will important Ferrell. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my class, like some of my classmates would drive like a Mercedes. So in my mind, like my high school mind, I was like a poor kid, mm-hmm. um, you know, even though I was attending private school and all this other stuff. So my conception of, of that was, um, you know, was warped. So then when I landed in Malawi and I'm like literally hanging out with people who are living on 30 cents a day, um, it was, it was, it really challenged just my conception of the, of, of the entire world. And there was something about that that was very powerful. Um, 
and then uh, I guess on top of that, I think it challenged my perception in so many different ways. Um, I think I was under the impression that, yeah, I knew that there's poor people in the world, but there's like a handful of poor people who live in like really distant remote corners of the globe. Um, but then when, like in Malawi, there's like 15 million people in the country, 5 million of them live in the city, and then 10 million of them live in these like rural villages. So the majority of the country is like living in these rural villages. And that's how a lot of sub-Saharan Africa is like. And so I was real, I was like, just like the number of people living in these conditions on the same planet as me, like private school Gret, um, that that was like just trippy, you know? Yeah. Um, and then on so and then the layer on top of that is a lot of these people were extremely happy. Like they had really good relationships with their neighbors and their family, and they were very kind. They're super generous. Like they were buying things for me. Like they would mm. buy me like a, a Coca Cola or something like that, just to show like that they're, you know, they're just trying to be hospitable. Um, and so they were just like really wonderful, lovely people. So I think I think that was like it was there was all that was great. And then on top of that, I think I I also like sensed this opportunity where um so there was this girl i met who um her mom so she was uh she was in the i used to go to this village every friday and i'd play soccer with the kids there and me and some of the other kind of like american teachers would go on fridays and and so i'd play soccer with the kids and um and hang out with the people in the village and it was just like a fun thing on friday to kind of reset my like any problem i thought i had i would go into the village on friday and it would like you know, I would put mm -hmm. things in perspective. And, and so it's it a very good, I really, you know, kind of missed that. It was a really good thing to be able to do that. But anyways, there's this little girl in the village. Her name was Emily. And she was like five years old at the time that I met her. And someone told me her story. Essentially, um, her dad had run away and her mom uh, had, had died because she couldn't afford a $20 trip to the hospital. Oh. Um, and, you know, you learn about something like that and uh, it does for me. It didn't sit right with me, and I've like this is not. This is crazy. Like I grew up, mm. you know, in my my private school world, and now I'm here. It took me like 24 hours to go from DC to here in this village in Malawi, and and there's these people who have who are who are just tragically poor. Um, and uh, and some there was something about that that I sensed like an almost like an opportunity to 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 have an impact or uh, contribute like whatever you know whatever i can personally offer i felt like there was this opportunity here where i could you know do some good so i didn't exactly know how that would turn into you know donorcy someday but i just sense like i should keep there's something here that i need to pay attention to yeah you know i'm trying to think of you know living on 30 cents a day like what like what does that look like what is that you know what does that mean yeah. for somebody what you know what time do they wake up what time, you know, where do they go to work? How, what do they eat and all that? Do, yeah. Any... So, I mean, they, it's like an agrarian lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, and essentially they, you know, so in Malawi, they have, they have three seasons. They have, uh, the rainy season, the dry season and the hungry season. Like that's how uh, they divide wow. their, um, their seasons. And so, um, for so for them there's like a, a period of time where there's like a lot of rain and then they do farming and then they harvest it but bef like it's like right before the crops get harvested the crops from the previous year are like running out and so they're mm. really hungry so they, they call that the hungry season there's a spike in crime um during that time of year and um obviously like increase in illness and things like that because people are just you know their immune systems are compromised um yeah it's a just very different world from you know how a lot of us kind of 
you know, anyone listening to this podcast is a very different world. Um, mm-hmm. I super encourage people to go, you know, visit and so forth. But um, yeah, so they, I mean, they're farmers, uh, manual labor. A lot of people, they do like piecework. Um, so it's like, there'll be a farm nearby and the person who owns the farm will pay them like a little bit of money so that they can, like they just work all day and then they take that back to their family and they share it with their family. And they, you often have like a lot of kids that they're taking care of. Um, they have a lot of them live in like, um, like mud huts. So like kind of a dirt floor bricks made from mud and then grass thatched roofs. Um, and so those are, these are the people who are like the poorest of the poor. And then if you're like kind of a wealthier person in the village, you might have like a metallic roof. Those are mm. you know expensive. You might have like a little bit, you might have a little bit of cement in your walls, um, but yes, they're shockingly poor. I mean, I don't, it's, that's just like the thing is I, I, I actually took someone, uh, one of my colleagues at Donorsi, I took him to Malawi, um, earlier this year and he, there was like, so I took him into one of these villages where he was meeting people like this. And there was, he said it took him like 30 minutes to even comprehend what he was seeing yeah. because, um, he's like, I felt like I was back in the year, like 700. Like I just didn't even know. Like I knew, they, you know, you know, intellectually it exists, but you don't really appreciate it until you're right there, like looking into someone's eyes who just their life was so different than yours. And like trying to comprehend that is a, it's a, it's an experience. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, yeah. And, and uh, one, one thing that that's hard, that's hard to fathom, you know, especially for somebody like a Westerner is that kind of life. But then what's also hard to fathom is that at no time in human history has there been less of that than mm-hmm. now, you know? So it's like, oh, yeah. you know, so there's extreme poverty has been, you know, reduced considerably. Yeah. And yet you still have these, these, you know, these it used people. to be the norm. Like if you look at graphs right. from like 200 years ago, it was like 90% of the world was in extreme poverty. And then if you look at graphs today, it's like, 10% of the world is in ex- like extreme, extreme poverty. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, there's been a, 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 it's been pretty crazy. The last 200 years <laughs> have been very, very good for um, broader humanity. Yeah. Well, what do, what do you think? Um, I don't know. It's probably a big question, but you know, sort of like what, what, what's the missing piece to, to, to really, you know, ed, uh, help the people in Malawi, advanced to, to, to move yeah. where they, it's, where they are now. It's quite a big question. There's a lot of things that are, um, there's a lot of compounding factors. So, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that are, that make it challenging. So for example, Malawi's education system is, you know, could use improvement. Um, and, but then let's say that you just better math in. teachers, <laughs> yeah, need better math exactly. teachers, Greg. The math teachers are getting, we're, we're, you know, I, I can speak to, uh, the level of improvement needed there. Um, but I mean, so the, like I was at this private school, but the government run schools there are, you just, you can't comprehend. Like the, there's, um, there were kids, like the norm is like, there's too many kids that fit in the government school buildings. So they all sit on a field outside and they slap a chalkboard against the wall. And then the 200 kids are taught by one teacher with a chalkboard outside. And then if it's a rainy day, there's no school. You know, that's kind of like the norm for for some of these government schools. So, but let's, okay. So let's say that you go in and you invest in like, somehow you just fix the the education problem, which again is a multifaceted problem. You need like resources, you need good teachers, you need good curriculum, you need curriculum that can speak to the various different dialects, like all throughout the country. Like just in Malawi, there's different dialects um, that they're 
languages Chichewa, but then there's different types of Chichewa. And then the, the language itself is very limiting. So let's say you just fix education. Well, then there's there's other issues on top of education, which are like um, like the healthcare system is not good. So you have like a lot of babies under five that don't make it because malaria is rampant in the country or HIV AIDS is rampant in the country. So then and then on top of that, um, you know, the government, um, I, I, you know, I have conflicting opinions about government intervention. But one of the things about uh, our government in America is that we're pretty, as far as like private property rights go, we're pretty good on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we, like right now, I've got you know, my phone next to me. If I call 911, I will summon armed men to come and like rescue me from a situation um, where, like wherever I am in the entire country. And there it's like, if someone steals from you, it's not like you can just call 911. It's not like there's a, you can have like the ambulance show up at your hut, you know, that doesn't happen. So there's all these compounding things that have to work together. Um, but that, that said, so that's kind of like the bad news is like, there's, it's like a, it's a mess, right. And a lot of these places, a huge mess. The good news is that there are like pretty reliable ways to see development. So, um, like providing education or, um, helping like formula milk is like one of those things that just is, is really, really a a good thing to provide in the way that you do it is very important, but that's a good thing. Um, providing mosquito nets is also like a really good way to do it. There's a lot of these like small interventions that you can do that lead to sustainable development. And I think that's one of the things that like attracted me to like being in Malawi and seeing how you can have this like long-term impact. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite messy. And it, I, that's, you know, one of the things I hope to do with donor is inspire a lot of people to get involved because that's what's required to um, resolve a lot of these situations. Yeah, and I, I remember, I remember a, a few cases uh, that I came across on Donorcy where it's like, you know, a, a baby's mother has died, therefore he's, you know, he or she are un- they're unable to breastfeed and they need formula, and it's like, we this is enough to pay for formula for a month or two. Yeah, you know? and then you start thinking, well, man, what happens after? Yeah, you know, after that that month or two, is there um. Is is there like a like a foster care system there? Are there orphanages? Like- yeah. So, um, well, it depends on like everything. Is this is one of the things I'm like another thing I'm really one of the things that's like I think unique about our model that I I probably should talk about more. But one of the things we're really passionate about is like being the the, the projects being locally sourced. Like it's mm-hmm. every contact like every village in africa is different every country in africa has its own unique like idiosyncrasies so it's very important that there are people who understand those differences and understand like the cultural context and they're the ones who are best able to like suggest and and present the projects that are needed because you and me just sitting like in our air-conditioned houses um or my office here in in fairfax virginia you know we're just so removed from these situations but having people on the ground they're the ones who can know how to make these like long-term um things so like for example the babies um there's yeah like one of our partners uh it was tanzania where where we were funding a lot of formula milk projects um and so the baby has formula milk and then six months later, the baby, you know, is healthy. The baby doesn't die. But then what do you do with that baby? Right. Um, what our partner in Tanzania did was she paired that that baby up with like a caretaker. So often the mother's not there, but the you would find someone else like an aunt or a grandmother to take care of the baby. And then you would, prov- you would provide that caretaker with some kind of, of uh, income stream. So that would be usually like a fruit stand or um, it, you'd be shocked. It's like 250 bucks to provide someone with a fruit stand and that provides them with ongoing recurring, you know, an income stream um, that they can actually grow. And this one particular partner had a, it was like an, I think 80 or 85% success rate with starting businesses with these moms who are taking care of the babies who had come from formula milk. So that's the thing about these things. Again, dark, like 
it's a mess, but there's a lot of things people can do that actually do have these impacts that, that touch people's lives. Yeah, there, there was a short uh, documentary some years back called Mama Rwanda about, mm. you know, obviously we all know about, you know, the genocide in Rwanda. Yeah. And it's uh, the doc um, focuses on basically the women left behind. So you have women whose husbands, fathers, brothers were murdered. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what, you know, what do these women do? And yeah. um, they've, you know, stepped up and become, you know, entrepreneurs and, and, um, and that sort of thing. And, you know, and, and, and that's something too, you know, obviously when you, when you see a case of like a, of an orphan that's in need of a formula, you understand what the, the purpose is. We need to feed this baby. We need to make yeah. sure that this baby is fed. Um, but I mean, what I like, what, the stuff that I've come across on Donor C is like, hey, we're going to help so-and-so get a scooter. Because mm-hmm. if they have a scooter, then they're able to uh, make deliveries or, or get to, uh, you know, get to their job or to go to school and all that. So it's, it's nice when you see something that um, I'm going to give a little bit and it opens up so many more possibilities for this person. Yeah. You know? One of the things I like to kind of help differentiate for people, because I think sometimes everything, like when you think of charity, everything is like conflated. So I was like trying right. to talk to people about um, the difference between relief and development. So relief is like the relief is like there's a disaster and a, a really tragic situation has happened and people just need help to get through that disaster, right? Like there's been flooding, your house is underwater and you need some, like you don't want to get sick from cholera. So we need to provide people with like disaster relief kits. And that's, that's relief. And then development is like, let's help someone start a business. Let's help someone get educated. Let's do something that has like this one-time effect that has these ongoing consequences. So in general, people who are, you know, in a really vulnerable category, so like orphans or widows or disaster victims or people who suffer from mental illness, you know, those are the, t- those are the people that society should just take care of them. Those are people in the, in the relief category. And then people who can work and who have, you know, can, can get an education or can work or can start a business. Those people are in the development category and you don't want to incentivize them to, um, to, you know, rely on handouts. You want to do what you can to give them a hand up. And so I always try and, um, help people understand the difference between the two of them because they're both really important. Um, but they, it's just the, 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 the occasion in which you apply them is also important. Yeah. How, how, how have things been in Malawi over the past couple of years with, uh, with COVID? Um, really bad. I'm yeah. sad to say, um, in fact, I just saw an article in the wall street journal this morning. Um, someone was doing a report on Kenya and, um, they were kind of admitting, this is something I talked about, as early as as May of 2020, that um, you know they locked down people pretty hard in Kenya and and Uganda and Tanzania and um, so several other countries in Africa, and that had a very very devastating impact on these communities. Um, and right now, I think like they're finally it's like becoming undeniable, like how devastating the effects of like you, so the people that they locked down. Um, are people who, you know, if they're living on 30 cents a day, they're people who are living hand to mouth. Like they, they, they are able to get just enough work to feed their families, like, right. ju- like on a daily basis. And, um, if you lock them down, you tell them like, you gotta stay, you got, you have to, you can't go anywhere. You can't work. You can't come into the city. You really screw those people over. Um, and I know like COVID has, I know a lot of people have been affected by COVID, but the lockdowns were not helpful in these countries where, where people 
in these like less developed countries. So yeah, I mean, I went to Malawi a few months ago and it was tough to sit across. Like there are people who I knew, you know, back from my time then that I sat across the table from them. And I just like, I knew that it had been hard on them, but I was sitting across the the table from them and I was looking into their eyes and I could just feel it. There was like a a weight there. It was very tough. Um, So yeah, I'm just, yeah, not great. Sorry sorry to (laughs) to drop that on your... um, uh, comedy podcast, but it was not good. Gret, are you there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, it, it's interesting now, you know, we're talking about, you know, developing countries and then my, apologies, everyone. I'm not going to keep the whole silence in there. Uh, so if anyone's wondering where we just, we left and where we bounced to. This- yeah. Oh boy. There we go. Uh, hey. and Gret was, was, uh, okay, we're back. <laughs> I'm wondering if it recorded on, you know, on my end. I don't know if how if that is the case. I don't know. I'm not sure. It, it says that it's still recording. So yeah, that's, so uh, you might still have maintained my. I hope even so. if you disappeared. Uh, so we'll see. It becomes the Gret Show. Um, <laughs> I but, take over uh, your podcast. But yeah, so, so you you were saying, um, you, so you have people, you know, living uh, hand to mouth, and if you're denying them the ability to to earn anything yeah gonna have screw them over yeah i mean they're so anyways I, I went to malawi i sat across from people who had just had a very difficult um malawi didn't lock down super hard in some in some ways that they did like they closed down the schools and stuff but um yeah i mean but nonetheless like the effects of the there's this expression when the elephants play the ants get stepped on and so i think the concept is you know we're over here in the developed world messing with the supply chain and causing all sorts of uh, different um, amounts of what feels like minor chaos over here, but it, the effects in other parts of the world can be quite massive. And so, especially in the developed world, people have had a, a tough couple of years. And I think people have, I think a lot of people in the de- developed world, sorry, people in the developing world had a tough couple of years. And I think a lot of people in the developed world have no concept. real, no real concept of what has happened what's like transpired over these last two years yeah over the past two years i mean i could think of not even a handful of of journalists or or public intellectuals or pundits who talked about it that the only person that comes to mind is uh brendan o'neill from spike Mm. magazine and this is probably from over a year ago he was saying he was saying we really need to uh you know to be thinking about what's happening to the people in the developing world because yeah you know uh you know we're, uh, people are way too into the idea of locking down in your you know studio apartment where you get to order e- uber eats and you have your wi-fi and you have your netflix and you're and you're all set up where there there really are people that are going to be suffering and a similar thing happens too and i think when it comes to environmentalism you know mm-hmm. this idea where sort of the uh uh, the people of Malawi living in, you know, in in mud huts are sort of held up as, yeah, that's the way you want to live because you're not burning uh, any, you know, your carbon footprint is, yeah, so, right. yeah. is so small. And it's like, no, they, I want those people to be able to live or have a choice to live the mm-hmm. way that I live, you know, yeah. like to let them yeah, decide. It's just a detached, like I said, it's hard. And I don't even, I'm not even sure. I, I don't blame people really because I spent three years living in Malawi. So it's like, I, I, I feel like I get it, yeah. but other people haven't had that experience. Like a lot of people just kind of like live in, I almost call it the America like pillow world. Like everything is so safe and like, yeah. you're just, you're just comfortable. Um, like I know that there's issues in America, but there's, 
but from like a relative perspective, it's like the access to opportunity here and the amount of like social safety nets, just there's a lot here that is that, that people take for granted. It's just like, it's like this, the water that they swim in yeah. and um, it's, yeah, it's hard to relate to how a lot of the rest of the world lives. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had a recent, uh, uh, a recent scare with my, uh, uh, with my youngest who's, uh, you know, nine weeks old mm. and there's just, you know, there's sickness going around. Yeah. And it's not just Omicron. There's yeah. sickness, you know, all over the place. And our family came down with um, RSV, which is a. I heard that's a, bad. Re, yeah, it's a respiratory uh, virus. It it sucks. Um, for me and my for my wife, it sucked. Uh, for me, it sucked. And then as you get younger and younger, it becomes not even. It becomes less sucky and more just dangerous. So, hmm. um, our oldest son is almost two. He had it. You know, terrible cough. Uh, yeah. And, um, his, um, uh, his pediatrician, uh, you know, thankfully was saying, you know, you just have to monitor him and, uh, you know, here's some, you know, here's some stuff he should, he should take. And she's like, and she said, look, you're, you're all going to get it. You know, yeah. that's just how it is. It's, it's a thing where, you know, it, you're, you're just going to get it. So then yeah. we, you know, are monitoring our, you know, our nine week old to see, you know, when is he going to get it? And it was new, um, New Year's Eve, mm. he had a fever. He was um, having that's terrifying, he, man. I, fever. I know how terrifying that we, is. And yeah. I, I don't mean to do this to you because I know you have a you have a, a a new one on the way. Um, but there is something that happens where you know you being a dad, uh, you know the 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 horrible cry of a baby. You know, there's yeah. something so primal that it it hurts to hear it. Yeah, and now take that away from the baby and it's wheezing. Mm. So that cry isn't even there. So that's, yeah. you know, we're dealing with, and we brought our, our son to the emergency room. They released him that night, brought his fever down. And then, you know, a day or two later back in the emergency room. And he was there for I think four nights and five days. Wow. With my wife. Yeah. Just them isolated in their room in the hospital. So yeah. I was like for the first time with my, with my eldest, just by myself here and uh you know thankfully uh, the little guy's been uh been released and he's on antibiotics and monitoring it but just the idea of not having that as a um you know not being able to do that not being able to rely on you can get in your car Mm -hmm. and you could drive to the emergency room where professionals will look after you yeah and and give you the best that that they have to offer um in our in our modern times and you know to think that people are subsisting you know and and yeah don't have that it's really tough it's very tough um and yeah it affects kids the most it's kids under five who are who take the brunt of um, a lot of this stuff and um yeah i mean i i completely get it we have uh my my brother-in-law just had twins uh, not just but like five months ago had twins but they were born two months premature Mm. they were in the NICU for um for a month and and the and then the 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 mother was in the hospital for a month before that because she had preeclampsia um what is that what is preeclampsia it's it's like a it's something that happens to pregnant women that's not good. And not you good. have to hospitalize mm-hmm. for, um, and usually your, your baby's born premature. That's about 
but that's my professional medical um, explanation. And um, yeah, but I mean, I I know um, a guy in Malawi who had twins that were born early and they didn't make it, and there was no like infrastructure for that, and there was no infrastructure for the twins. So it was just like they were born premature. There was not like a you know a respiratory unit or anything like that. The the, the twins just kind of came out, and over the course of twenty four hours, they both didn't make it. It's just terribly wow. sad. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the world that we, we live in right now. Um, and, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think, you know, this is why I'm passionate about what we're doing at Donorsy. I think that there's a, a cool opportunity to, to bring a lot of, um, a lot of the opportunity and access that we have here in America. I think it'd be great for people all over the world to have to feel that same amount of, of access. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if there are people just innovators out there that are going to make like a you know, an incubator that, you know, costs yeah. five bucks that, you yeah. know, that you that's know, what we need. Better. So right now we have the, like the brightest minds in the world working on, um, and I'm not saying this is, I'm not, there's no critique here, but the, so the, some of the brightest people in the world are working on like social media algorithms, TikTok. And things like that. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting and the TikTok going. Yeah, yeah. We, we really need a place where, uh, we need some of these people working on, um, you know, the bottom billion, the bottom billion people, like how the, there's a huge opportunity to help those people. And we need some of the smartest people in the world working on that stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, as, as we established earlier on, I am much older than you. Um, <laughs> right. So, uh, so more my, mature. My, my, no, I'm definitely not more mature. <laughs> I, I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a thicker beard, but that, yeah. that's about all the maturity I have on <laughs> you. Right. Um, but, uh, so I was born in 82. My brothers were born in, uh, in 83. And uh, so my two youngest brothers are twins and um, they were both, uh, I don't know, I forget how, how premature they were, but uh, they were both, I mean, they're twins anyway, so they're going to be tiny. So they're yeah. tiny and they, they both had to be held uh, at the hospital. Yeah. And then um, I'm told that uh, one of them was released early. I think it was my, my brother, Matt. So, so, they bring home the new one and I, and I see him and I'm, I guess I'm okay with him. Right. And then a few days later they come with another one. (laughs) And my mom says that I took one look at the new one and just almost, you know, like scoffed at it. Like, (laughs) like, give me a break. (laughs) Another one. And then I just sort of like, you know, just sort of went went away. But, but, you know, even that, I mean, you know, back in 1983 in the, in the U S yeah. Things have changed to, quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, well, well, Gret, um, why don't you, uh, you know, plug away at Donorcy and tell everyone where they could, uh, where they could find your stuff. I mean, and, and let me just, just say, this is, um, um, I've been a fan of, of Gret, uh, ever since I came across, uh, Donorcy. This is actually the first time that we're, we're talking at length. Um, yeah, it's true. and, uh, um, and I, I just, you know, you could see the good works that you're doing and, if anybody out there is like, Hey, you know what? I want to actually make a difference. Even if it's this, this quote unquote, small difference of the world. Uh, it really just pays, you know, just so many dividends. Right? Yeah. And well, just to touch on that, like, you know, it feels small to us, but it's a big difference to the people that it's affecting. So, um, <laughs> Lou disappeared. Come on, man. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. You're, please, you're please tell me. Uh, uh, how can people find you before we get kicked off again? Yeah. Just everyone. Everyone should check out donorc.com 
and there's lots of resources on there. There's a if you go to the our about page, you can find a 12 minute documentary about how we were founded. So people should check that out, and then pick out a project, make a donation. It feels like small to you, giving 20 or 50 bucks to you feels small, but it's a huge difference in someone's life, and you'll get to see you'll get to see that when you donate. So go ahead and do that. Awesome. And, and I think that, Gret, you might have to set up a donor seat for me so I can get better Wi-Fi. Right. <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, get you set so, up with one of those projects. So you can pull never, a thank you video for, th- for thanking yeah, people. Exactly. I'll show you guys my progress with my <laughs> Wi-Fi. Uh, Gret, thank you so much for taking the time. Again, I apologize for the technical difficulties. And, you know, like I said before, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the work that you do. And thank you for doing it. Yeah. Thank you, Lou. Thank you so much for watching and or listening to my podcast. If you'd like to support my work, please head over to theluperez.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. And another way to support me is by supporting my sponsors, Black Organic Cold Brew. Head over to www.blbckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. And if you're into CBD products, please check out palomaverdecbd.com. Use promo code LOU for 25% off purchases over $75. All right. Bye.